So it's great to be able to be here this morning, and um, we're not actually quite dealing with the reading that we read a little earlier, but we're one page on. So if you've got your Bibles, just flick on another page into the book of Philippians. We're going to be referring uh, to what we read as well, but we're going to read just a few verses from Philippians. I'm going to pray, uh, and then we can get going. Let's uh, read from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for him, since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Let's pray together, shall we? Father, we come before you now and we pray that what we have just sung might not be empty words, but we pray that we might truly, in a deep, rich, powerful and glorious way, we might know your presence here amongst us. We thank you that your presence is uh, communicated by the power of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you are a living, triune God, Father, Son and Holy Spirit. A Father who loved us, sufficient to send his Son into this world, Jesus present with us to die so that the ongoing presence of the Spirit of Jesus and the power of God might be known to us today. We thank you that we do not worship you alone. And so we pray now that as we turn to this word, we pray that you would speak to us, wherever we are, whatever situation that we are in, whatever your word needs to do in dealing with our hearts today, we pray that you would do it by the power of your Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, uh, just a real quick uh, recap. Paul's writing a letter to a church of Christians in a, a city called Philippi. Philippi was one of those privileged Roman cities outside of uh, Italy. It had special status. It was recognised as a special city. It was really quite a, a place to live. It was kudos to live in Philippi. And Paul's writing to uh, a group of people who have come to know Jesus personally. They've become Christians, most of them from uh, a completely separate background, a background that didn't know anything about Jesus and the message. In fact, we read a little bit of the founding of the church in Philippi back in, in the book of Acts, where we read that there are three people who are, if you like, they're representative of the way the church started in Philippi. Uh, there is uh, Lydia, if you, re you might remember the story of Lydia, she's a fairly prosperous, uh, important woman in the city who uh, follows, she's a Jew, she follows the religion of the Jews, she worships the God of the Bible, but she doesn't know Jesus. Lydia comes to faith in Jesus, the next person who comes to faith in Jesus. In fact, uh, if you feel this morning as though the Christian faith is just for, if you like, the, the kind of good living, upright, moral people like Lydia, which Lydia would probably represent, the next person couldn't be further away. 
Because the next person who is saved in Philippi is a slave girl who is owned by people. She's a fortune teller. She's probably been abused. She's probably been treated horribly. Uh, she's just owned. I mean, you couldn't get further away from Lydia in lots of ways, could you? Completely different kind of person. And yet she comes to faith. She's, she's fragile. She's broken. But she declares these people are proclaiming Jesus, the Son of the living God. Listen to them. She, and she comes to faith in Jesus. So you've got Lydia, the morally upright. You've got the slave girl, the owned and broken and probably weak little girl, young woman. Uh, and if you think to yourself, I don't fit into either of those two camps and therefore the Christian faith isn't for me. The next person who gets saved is a hard knock Roman jailer. I mean, the story, the way this story is constructed, I'm sure there were lots more people who did come to faith. Clearly, because there's a church established. But the three that are picked out are to show to, to us today, I guess, that the Christian faith is not for the, just the morally upright, it's not just for the broken, uh, it's not just uh, for those who are self-sufficient kind of guys of the world. Christian faith invades the hearts of people no matter where we are. No matter where we are. You might be here this morning thinking, I've been coming along for some time and I don't know about this Christian faith. There may well come a point when suddenly it just opens up. That's because what has happened is the Spirit of God has broken down all of your mind defences and has convinced you deep down in here that this message is true. And the great thing about being a, a, a preacher, somebody who explains the Bible, is I don't have to rely on my ability to convince you. Because there is a power of God at work which can break into your life in the most extraordinary way. The question is, what happens when it does break in? What are you likely to face? We come to Philippines, and we see Paul is now writing to this uh, young church. And in verse 28 through to the end, he says, okay, you now live your lives, well, 27. He says, live your life in a way which is worthy of the gospel of Jesus. Live your life which is marking you out, which makes you distinctively a follower of Jesus. I was reading a fantastic book the other day. It's not for everybody, so don't just go and buy it um, or, or download it. Or It's not for everybody, but it's about a guy, it's fairly topical really, it's about a guy who's an undercover policeman in America. We've just got a big news event in these past few weeks about an undercover policeman. And this guy uh, went undercover and infiltrated the Hells Angels. What I found fascinating as I read that was the mindset of an outlaw biker. Somebody who lives their life living worthy of the patch on their back. Somebody who lives their life convinced to show determined to show that's who I am 
Now the reality is we all do that in some way or another. We all live our lives convinced to show the world that we are. What's your conviction? What are you convinced to show the world that you are? A really good mum? A really good dad? A really cool guy to be with? Somebody who's self-sufficient? Somebody who's just nice? I want people to like me. What's the patch on your back that you are determined to live your life to display? Because Paul comes in and he says, right now, whatever happens, no matter what you face in the future, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The patch on your back now is Jesus is my Lord and my God. I'm saved by grace. Now live your life according to that. That's a dramatic change, isn't it? That is a huge change that Paul is coming to this church and saying, now live your life in accordance with that. What happens? What does that result in? Well, he says, actually, don't be frightened in any way by those who oppose you. And then he goes on to say, and I want you to join in the suffering, embrace the suffering that you've been called to as a follower of Jesus, and the suffering that you have seen that I have endured. Life's like that, isn't it? Really. Life doesn't quite work out the way we hope. Life is not very often delivering what we had hoped for. There's a story that I picked up uh, just in this past couple of days which really, for me, captured the brokenness of life. Her name was uh, Torian Hansen. She was an American woman and uh, she went over to Vladivostok and um, adopted an orphan son, Artem, his name was, brought him back to the United States. A few years later, she sent Artem back to Moscow on an unaccompanied flight with one of these kind of special arrangements for the, the airline to accompany him. He had in his hand a note to whom it may concern. I do not want this child anymore. She sent him back with a continuation of the note saying, I want this adoption to be annulled. Artem had developed behavioural problems. Now, I guess our immediate response is, how can you possibly do that to a child? I just dig below the surface a little bit. I know what it's like to face the horror 
and hardship of day-to-day difficulties through behavioural problems. Day-to-day hardship, that grinding, wearing, get-me-down, this is not working out, this is terrible, I feel lonely, I feel isolated, what is going to happen here? What is going to happen for the future? I'm not justifying it. But you know what? Life's like that, isn't it? Life is broken. Life is alive for many people. For all of the veneers, for all of the fronts of smiles, underneath there is a brokenness, there is a pain. There is a reality of what is going on which is hard. And life has not worked out the way we had hoped. Now Paul says to these Christians in Philippi, guys, be ready. Because becoming a Christian is not the answer to making life frothy and lovely and good and happy and resolving all of your problems. And everything's going to be nice now. In fact, he says, be ready because you're going to get more opposition. You're going to get more. Jesus said to those who were following him, he turned around to them, and some might accuse Jesus of being a kind of, you know, get people on board and and start a new religion, start a new movement, big follower kind of guy. Jesus said this, if anyone would come after me, He must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what Jesus said. If you want to gain your life, you've got to lose it. Now he said that to disciples who... The followers of Jesus, subsequent to the death of Jesus, with the exception of one of the disciples of Jesus, every one of the other disciples of Jesus was martyred. They were killed, according to tradition, because they were followers of Jesus. That is not a great rallying cry, is it? That is not a great way to get people on board for this new movement. Come and join me and die. Thanks, that sounds like a great thing to join. But that is precisely it, isn't it? Jesus says, don't let me kind of froth it up. The Christian life is going to bring another dimension. And, and how, I want to ask the question this morning, therefore, how are we possibly going to stand in the light of that? How can, how, I don't feel strong. I, I don't know about you, but, you know, guys, speak to the guys now. We love to put up a front, don't we? We love to feel as if we're kind of solid, secure, we're, we're okay, we can deal with life. But I'm going to say it on behalf of all of us. There's, there's a reality, isn't there, behind the scenes? There's a reality that as guys in this world we look to the future and there is a sense of fear because we don't know what the next day is going to bring. We might be able to hide it with a fantastic front 
of strength and swagger or strength and confidence. But the reality is, we look to the forward and we say, no matter what, I can't hold back this world. I can't hold back the events that are going to come and, and beat me and, and drive me. What can I do? How possibly are we going to stand in this life? Uh, you younger guys and girls, um, <laughs> if it hasn't happened yet, it will do. You will hit something in life, uh, which is not just a kind of little ripple in the road surface. It's a massive, great, big pothole. If you haven't already hit a pothole, you will. You will. And we need something deeper. We need something stronger. We need something more foundational to carry us through that event in life than our own strength. And Paul starts to open us up to this as he works it through. He says, firstly, do not be afraid of those who are going to oppose you. Don't be frightened by the opponents. Becoming a Christian in Philippi was no small thing. Everybody worshipped the emperor cult. And in fact, the worship of the Roman gods secured prosperity and well-being for the city and for the family. That's the way it worked. You worship the gods of Rome. You can go and do your own thing as well. That's fine. Worship the gods of Rome. And what that will do is it will make sure that this city continues to prosper. And our families continue to prosper within the city. And Paul now says, don't worship anybody. The Gospel of Jesus says... Worship Jesus Christ alone. These Philippian Christians are now called to stand different. To worship a God who is immediately going to put them in the firing line of any problems. Any problems in the city, any problems in the family. Well, whose fault is it? If you've got a mindset which says... The worship of the gods secures the future and there's people who are no longer worshipping the gods. Whose fault is it that the city is in decline? Whose fault is it that we're in austerity measures? Whose fault is it that we've now got X million unemployed? Whose fault is it it's those Christians? Whose fault is it that our family is now going through a difficult time? Whose fault is it? Let me bring it up to date. Whose fault is it that the family isn't quite gelling in the way that it was? Because you don't do the things that you used to do. Whose fault is it that life isn't as kind of rosy as it once was? Because you don't come out on a Friday and a Saturday night or whatever it might be. You don't get involved in X, Y, Z. Your life has changed. You spend time with, with other people now. Do you see how that controlling power of Philippi can be absolutely the same today? It can't, can't it? I want to ask the question. 
How do we stand? How do we remain standing in the light of that? The first thing I would say is this. We have got to get our heads around. We have got to be clear in our minds where the real opposition is. Where is the real opposition? Where does the, where does the negative forces, where is the striving against us actually foundationally rooted? Well, Ephesians 6:11 puts it like this: "Put the whole armor of God on that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the family, against the schemes of the neighbors, against the schemes of the politicians, the local council. Put on the whole armour of God so that you might be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. There is the source of opposition. It's like, open your eyes to the cosmic battle that is going on. Do you know what? Satan uses ordinary means to attack us. He uses the ordinary things in this world. He, he militates those things and there is another perspective of the greater sovereignty of God. But Paul says, it was Satan who stopped me from coming to you. You know, there is a, a sense in which the opposition is in this, or, the ordinary things in life which work against. Satan hates those who are made in the image of God. And so he, he, he just pours his venom out on humanity. And particularly on those who claim to love the Lord Jesus. Doesn't that mean, doesn't that kind of create the, the joint, the, the, allow us to make the connection that says... Therefore, I can love my enemies. I can pray for my enemies, as Jesus calls us in Matthew. I can pray for my enemies. Because those enemies, that Paul says, don't be afraid of those enemies. They're as tied up in this cosmic battle as I am. Pawns in a game. Used to militate against me and against all that are made in the image of God. That's what's going on. So Paul says, now look, don't be afraid. <laughs> Understand this, that, that the brokenness, the sadness, the suffering of life. Look at the catalogue of things that go on in Paul's life. Including things, a, a thorn in the flesh. Including things which are just 
Why not clearly and obviously people opposing him for the sake of the gospel, are they? What about being shipwrecked? You know, natural disasters. You can't immediately say, can you, that they are uh, people who are opposing him for his Christian faith. And yet Paul lists all of those in that catalogue of all of the opposition that he has faced. I've been shipwrecked. I've been beaten. I've been imprisoned. I've been stoned. I put all of those things under the one umbrella of opposition. Suffering. You know, I hoped Torian Hansen to resolve my loneliness by adopting. And it didn't work out. It was so broken. I cannot come to terms in one sense with packing a child off on a plane with a, a note. I can't, I can't come to terms with that. But I can because I've had so many conversations with different people in different situations of life. I can understand the, what would drive somebody to, to... The only thing that is going to make me happy is to have a child in my family and to adopt and... And then it doesn't work out the way I'd hoped. And I, I feel now that I am torn to bits. Just torn to bits. Paul says, don't be afraid of that kind of opposition because you are invited to share in the suffering Christ. It's like enter this cosmic battle. Lift your eyes up in what we read here. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only that you believe on him, but you also suffer for him. Suffer for him. That's amazing, isn't it, what's said there? It has been granted to you that you believe in him and that you suffer for him. It's like you've been granted a window into the true reality of the existence of the Son of God in this world. Son of God who came into this world, enter Jesus What kind of life did Jesus live? He lived a life where ultimately what was poured out on him was the unrestrained vehemence and vengeance of wicked men. We know because the Bible tells us that there is two perspectives. There is a greater sovereign perspective where it says that it pleased the Father to bruise him. And at the same time he was handed over to wicked men so that he might know what it is for absolutely unrestrained pouring out of hatred towards him. Suffering 
towards just... He suffered like nobody else. He was rejected by men. He was without a friend. Do you know that suffering? Do you know what it is to be rejected by people? Suddenly find yourself alone. People who you thought were with you, suddenly against you. Jesus knows that. He suffered it at the point, he was abandoned at the point where he most needed people. I don't think there is anything more tragic, is there? We all face the reality of death. There's nothing more tragic than being alone in death. Jesus was. Tragically alone. Because of the increased burden of the suffering of being abandoned by those who were close to him. You see what, what this connection is doing? It's allowing us to, in this suffering, begin to gain a little insight of the suffering that Jesus experienced. A little window. Why do, we, why do we want to do that? Why should we want to gain a window into the suffering of Jesus? Because the gospel is about this. It's about because we are immersed in his life, in his suffering, in his death, we are also immersed in his triumph, in his victory, in his success. Because he died, we died. Because he lives, we live. Because he suffered, we suffered. We suffer. Because he reigns victorious in heaven, in one sense, the Bible says, we are already citizens of heaven. We're already there, even though we're not. I don't feel very often like a citizen of heaven, do you? And... The Bible says you are. You know what? You're a citizen of heaven. You're already there. You're already not yet. You're a passport-carrying citizen of the kingdom of heaven. It's just that you've not crossed the border into that beautiful land yet. You see, we are immersed in the suffering. We gain an understanding. I walked... A mile with sorrow. Not a word, said she. But oh, the things I learned when sorrow walked with me. That's where we learn it, isn't it? We don't learn stuff in the frothy times. We learn stuff in the down times. That's where we learn it. We learn the suffering of Christ so that we might know that we are saved by him. I cannot face up to suffering. I am going to be torn to bits. You are going to be torn to bits. You will not be able to cope with opposition. I will not be able to cope with opposition. You will not, nor will I be able to cope with the ultimate opposition of death. We will not be able to cope unless we know that I stand in Christ.
Why? Because I am adopted by him. I am adopted by Christ. He has called me into his family. And the great thing is this. He's called me into his family. He's adopted me. You know what's happened? I've developed all sorts of behavioural problems. I've got masses of behavioural problems. But he will never, never pack me off and send me away from himself. He will never, never abandon me and say, I don't want this child anymore. He will never let me go. He will never leave me. He will never forsake me. I will triumph. I can face suffering. Not because of my strength. But because he has triumphed. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Live worthy according to that.